Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex over BTN.com and this week we are back in a little bit of normal rotation because we have Harold Shelton on the show for a Buckets Breakdown segment, a stat head segment um, where we break down the Big Ten basketball race that's kind of coming down in the home stretch now uh, with Ohio State, Michigan State, and Purdue leading the way. And we talk some uh, bubble teams as well, Penn State, Nebraska, and uh, get into a few other topics in that Stathead segment with Harold Shelton, which we do pretty regularly here on the Take 10 Podcast. Um, We also have an extended interview with BTN's own Mike Hall. Mike is a studio analyst who's been a network for 10 years since its inception. And if you listen to the show before, when I have... uh, media professionals, athletes, and um, other folks on for just general interviews. I like to get into their backgrounds and how they got to where they are today. And we did that in a sit down with Mike, got into his unique background, which is it's really super cool because he won the ESPN show Dream Job to kick off his career coming out of the University of Missouri. And so he worked at ESPN right out of college and then moved back to Chicagoland, where he's from, to work at Big Ten Network. And he's been here ever since. So we get into Mike's whole backstory and talk some college hoops with him as well. And it was a cool uh, 45-minute sit-down with one of the main faces here at BTN. We've had Dave Revson on, got him on over the summer, talked to Rick Pizzo. So it was good to finally get Mike Hall on the show and talk to him as well. So the show leads off with interview with Mike. Then we get to the Stathead segment with uh, regular guest Gerald Shelton. And we'll get to those in just a moment. First, I did want to remind everyone that you can subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast on iTunes or Google Play or Podbean. So if you're listening on SoundCloud right now, subscribe on those platforms so you don't miss any new episodes on the Take 10 Podcast. And we got some fun stuff coming up ahead of the Big Ten Tournament in New York City. And we'll hopefully have some New York-focused guests, some East Coast guests um, to kind of line up with that historic tournament going on out there in a couple of weeks. Um, one more reminder that we still have a coupon code valid for the Take 10 Podcast, and you can use it on the btn.com online store. Take 10% off any order in the online store, and the coupon code is TAKE10, capital T-A-K-E, the number one zero. So you enter that coupon code and get 10% off any BTN merch, swag, Big Ten, school, spirit, uh, merchandise, anything on there that you can find. So that's T-A-K-E-1-0. All right, so with those reminders out of the way, let's get to our primary interview of this episode. Big Ten Network's own Mike Hall. All right, so I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the OGs here at BTN. <laughs> He's an analyst and host of his own show, Sports Light. It's our very own Mike Hall. Mike, what's up, sir? How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks liar. for thanks for jumping. You're stuck in a room with me, you liar. Stuck in a room at the studio in Chicago, Mike <laughs> Hall. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a scary feeling, but I'm sure we'll both get through it. You're gonna get through it. I promise. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with. Uh, Mike, one of the original three here at Big Ten, alongside uh, Dave and Rick. And before we got started here, Mike was teasing me that he's the third on the show. So I have yeah. to apologize ahead Real of time nice. for, for getting you Real on nice. after. Uh, I know where I stand with you, Dave and Rick. Um, Whatever. 
Are but we done yet? But you're finally here. I'm out! You're finally here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, so when I have media professionals on the show, and, and you are a media professional, um, regardless of how the interview started, <laughs> um, I like to get into their backgrounds and, um, you know, kind of dive into to how you got to where you are. And you got a cool story. So let's start, first of all, when you were a kid growing up, or like when I talk to some people in media, some people were like born with the mic in their hand, you know, they're always like dreamed of being on TV and, and dreamed of being a sportscaster. So was that the case with you, Mike Hall? No, I grew up wanting to, well, yes and no. I grew up wanting to be an actor my whole life. And then when I got to like the latter part of high school and you had to sort of really get serious about where you wanted to go to school and what you wanted to study... You know, I still wanted to be an actor, but I was like, you know, you did the math and it was like, well, they say be an actor if it's literally the only thing you can do. And I thought, well, it's not the only thing I can do. What else can I do? Um, and I noticed I watched SportsCenter every morning um, from Dan and Keith to Rich and Stewart to, you know, Kilborn and Ravitch and, and all those guys. And I was like, you know, that's performing it's not acting, but it's performing, and I love sports, and I bet I could do that. Where's the best journalism school in the country? And it was like, well, that's Missouri, and well, then that's where I'm going to go. And so I kind of around like my late junior, early senior year of high school, I started to go, all right, I need to start pursuing this. And so then I started doing things like writing for local hometown newspapers and writing a column in our, our high school newspaper and... Um, taking a journalism class in high school and applying to Mizzou, and then it all kind of went off from there. So you're from the Chicago land area, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, western suburbs. All right, so Mizzou is the you know, the, the big Midwest journalism school, like you said. Um, uh, it's the big national school. The big national school. school. You know, it's the first ever I, broadcast before, journalism school. Before we even talk about Mizzou broadcast journalism, I just want to get your comment. Uh, don't, don't do it. Five straight bragging don't rights games? Don't do it, Any you comment? son of a... You guys aren't even going to make the tournament this year, and you beat us. Mike, it's all we got. It's all we got to hang on to is the, the bragging rights. <sighs> yeah, but I would I would seriously consider trading a tournament run for beating Illinois. Illinois is going to be, when they put Mizzou and they select on Selection Sunday and the graphic comes up, it's going to say bad losses, <laughs> Illinois on there. And, you know, that's all we'll have to hold on to. Uh, we, you know, I rooted for Illinois growing up. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad and, and sisters and everybody I knew went there, and I was considering going there. Um and so when I was watching basketball, I would watch the Bragging Rights game every year. And I was like, Mizzou sucks! And I was, and I remember Missouri went on like a winning streak at the end of the 90s. And then in 2000, I went to Missouri, and Illinois won 14 of 18 games since then. Yeah, not been great for you guys, but... I've been on the wrong uh, side. I, I mean, when I was in, there was five in a row. It's a very streaky series. So yes, it is. So it's, they always rattle off like five to ten in a row. Uh, when's the last time you were down for that game? I went, I think, once or twice to report on it for BTN. I went once or twice just as a fan. But the last time I was there, I think, was probably like five years ago, maybe. Maybe early in the John Gross tenure. Um, they were both ranked in the top 25. I think that would have been, yeah, that would have been, I think that was the first one I went to. Because yeah. I, I lost the first one I went to. And that was, I was hooked after that because, I mean, I'd always watched it, but I'd never been to it. And it was, it was different. It is It is such a, an amazing rivalry, an incredible atmosphere, and I feel sad that only people in the Midwest know that because everybody who goes to those games are like, how is this not one of the most important things in media and college basketball world every year? Because it's incredible, that atmosphere. Yeah, it's an awesome time. All right, so you guys uh, haven't had success on the court against Illinois. Had a good, having a good run this year, Michael Mm -hmm. Porter Jr. coming back. But I want to talk a little more about your um, 
your time at Mizzou, as you kind of worked your way into the broadcast media field. So what did you do kind of starting out? Because some people, it's like, first week I went and signed up at the, the TV station or the paper or whatever. Yeah. What was your story? How did you get into it? Yeah, my freshman year. So what Missouri does, you can't even get into the journalism school until you're an upperclassman. Mm-hmm. So your freshman year, you don't take any classes. Your sophomore year, you take one class each semester, and then you apply. If you have the grades and you did well in the uh, journalism classes, you can get in. So um, what I did was I uh, uh, there's a, a student-run TV station that just goes to the dorms, basically. Sure. But I started doing stuff there, and I would file reports on the cross-country team, and you know, we, we had a studio show, and I auditioned to be the anchor for some of those things, and I got that, and I did a little bit of work there. But then the reason Missouri has such a great journalism reputation is not only because they were the first school in the country for journalism, but they own the NBC affiliate. So a lot of schools, like Northwestern's a very good journalism school, and Syracuse is very good, but... When you leave Syracuse or Northwestern, the best you're going to have as a resume tape, which is how people in the industry hire you as they look at your resume reel, is cable access. And nowadays with technology, you can make it look pretty good, but it's cable access. Whereas you're literally, if you're good enough as a junior in college, you're reporting for the NBC Channel 8 News, actual the number one newscast in mid-Missouri, and you're getting tons of experience doing that. So... I did that. I was a news reporter. I did a little bit of news anchoring. I actually never anchored sports, which I still hold over the head of my mentor back at uh, Mizzou. Um, but I did would do some reporting and some special features and editing, and you carry your own camera, and you learn all the aspects of the uh, the industry. And that's sort of what, what set up my success for on the show Dream Job was that I had all this background already. Yeah, so anyone who's watched you knows that you like to work in – humor into your into your sports casts um if it fits so was that something that you did in in school to kind of feel out or were you just playing it straight lace since you were just a student trying to make your way yeah mostly because most of what i did in at missouri was learning the basics of journalism i was doing a lot of news reporting right so there wasn't an opportunity to insert humor now when i would do sports which again i never got to anchor uh but when i would do like the cable access uh, MUTV, it was called. When I would do MUTV, I would I would use humor um, because without knowing anything, you're just like sports center guys are funny. I should be funny. Right. And if I ever got to anchor at uh, the TV station, I would have used it. But no, for the most part, the first time I did any sports anchoring and tried to do any humor was on the the Dream Job show at ESPN. Yeah, you bring it up, and that's exactly what I want to get to next because it's a crazy story, really. Crazy. And it, and uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Mike was the winner of Dream Job on ESPN. It was the kind of American Idol style show that had contestants on to try out to be a Sports Center anchor. I remember watching this show and thinking it was pretty cool. I was probably ten years old when it was on, um, and and thinking like this is this is an awesome concept for a show. I really enjoyed it. How does that type of opportunity come about for you? Because you were a student at Mizzou, right, when that happened. Right. So they, they created the show, and they started marketing it late summer of 03, early fall of 03. And the funny story is I heard about it, and I was like, oh, whatever, I wonder what that is. But it seemed like a cattle call. I mean, it seemed like, what? how am I going to stand out among yeah. 10,000 people? Like, there's, that's insane. Why would I even waste my time? And I had a friend named Katie send me an email one day that was a forward of the ESPN release, and her exact words were, Mike, you should do this. It's perfect for you. If you don't do this, I'll hurt you. <laughs> and that was pretty funny. And then about four hours later, a friend of mine named Moral, 
who's not like best friends with this girl Katie or anything, sends me an email with a forward of Dream Job, and her exact words are, Mike, this is perfect for you. If you don't do this, I'll hurt you. And I was like, well... Stars are lined already. That's yeah. crazy. So I had a buddy named Steve Lippo, who's now become a very successful behind-the-scenes person at NBC in Chicago. Um, he and I just got up, and we drove to St. Louis in, like, September, and there was a bar at 8 a.m. that was hosting people for, like, 10 hours that day. And we just said, well, what the, we got nothing to lose. We, we'll go do this. We'll be back by 10 a.m. on a Saturday. Who cares? And we went and auditioned, and we were both asked to come back to the back room. And then after the back room, they said, we'll call you in three weeks if you made the Chicago regionals. And in three weeks, they said, get to Chicago next Thursday. And so I got to Chicago and auditioned again. And they said, these four of you are going to the national finals. And I was in the national finals around Christmas. And then... Uh, and then I was on the show. The show was in February and March of 04. So I was still a student. I was a second semester senior. And it was wild. I mean, you would le- you'd be doing schoolwork uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then you'd fly to New York on Friday. And you'd tape a bunch of things Friday and Saturday that they never used on the show. And then you would perform your challenge or whatever on that um, uh, whatever would be that Sunday night. And then you'd fly back on Monday and you'd have to catch up. From everything sure. you missed on Friday and on Monday. And so it was like having papers that had to be extended. And luckily the school was great. It was great publicity for them. All my teachers were understanding. I was pursuing, you know, a dr- dream job. Um, and so they were great and it all worked. But yeah, I was still I was still taking classes at the time. Were you kind of a celebrity on campus then at that time? Were you getting you know, people coming up to you and asking you about it? It was a great lesson in the importance of not caring about fame. Because yeah, for like two weeks... Once, once I won. So during the show, it was like, oh, a couple people here and there. And then, like, the journalism community would say, but right after I won, for, like, literally two weeks, I was getting meals for free. I was getting drinks bought every time I went to a bar. I was having girls call me who had never called me before. Uh, there was literally a girl that I asked out twice that first semester of senior year, and she said no both times. And I was like, oh, forget this girl. <laughs> she started calling me once I won the show all the time. And uh, it was a great lesson, I say, because that 15th day at the start of the third week, nobody cared. It was such a lesson of like, great, you're important to us. Okay, well, it's not going to last very long, so you better not do anything that matters to you about notoriety because it's fleeting. And it was it was for two weeks, I like had a really big head, and I was like, <laughs> I'm yeah. kind of cool. And then the third week, I was like, oh, I'm really not that cool. Got it. If okay. there were DMs that in that era, your DMs would have been full. <laughs> People have been sliding in left yeah, and right. Yeah. Um, all right, so take me through like the process of the show a little bit, like, sure. and, and how nerve wracking that must have been. Because I remember watching the show, and people would mess up because they weren't pros yet, and I would just get kind of nervous for these people watching the show. Yeah. So, what, what was that like? You know, having to perform under all that pressure. So there were twelve of us in the finals that made the show, and they were all different areas. One guy was a lawyer. One woman was a stay-at-home mom. I was a student. There was a plumber. You know, there was there was people from all different areas. And we would get a task every week. So, like, the f- one week it was, you know, you're just uh, reading a highlight. And you get a long highlight, and you have to read it. And then your judges, like Tony Kornheiser was a judge, they would critique you. And one week it was, we're sending you to spring training. File a report. And so I had the Cleveland Indians for a day, and I had to learn what were the stories around them and do some interviews and, and create a feature around that. And then the final... Like, the final thing was, when it was down to just two of us, we had a 15-minute sports cast with you and a co-anchor who was, uh, I think I'd call Ravitch. Um, 
and you did a full sports cast. And I interviewed Peyton Manning live, and I had highlights, and there were errors that I had to catch, and there were people talking in your ear while you were supposed to be talking and reading. And um, so it was, it was nerve-wracking. I mean, but I also sort of like the whole reason I auditioned. I had nothing to lose. I mean, the worst case scenario was they say, okay, we're kicking you off the show. And it's like, great, I go back to college. Right. I had nothing. There was no negative that could come from this, even if I embarrassed myself. I'm 22. Yeah. That was the question I was going to get to is, is, was that kind of a situation you think where your youth worked in your favor? Totally. Like you said, not really too much pressure to succeed especially with people that might be on their you know, last chance to break into the industry. You think that worked in your favor then? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, I mean, nobody who's ever had any modicum of success got there without luck, right? Everybody has luck. Mine was a little more obvious than most people's, uh, that the show existed, that it happened at the right time. Um, you know, if it happened three years later, I probably would have been ineligible because I would have been a local sportscaster mm-hmm. somewhere. Uh, if it happened a year earlier, I probably wouldn't have been prepared. If I ended up going to a school that didn't prepare me the way Missouri did, I wouldn't have done as well on that. Um, so I certainly had a lot of luck uh, in that way. Um, but uh, what was the original question you asked? I think I sort of trailed off. Just like the, you know, you being kind of young and oh, really the, there's a no-lose no, no, no situation that helped your actual performance. Right. I, I think there is something to that, too. Um, and I think there's also, quite honestly, like I was doing improv at college at the time. Sure. And like that sort of teaches you to not know what's coming ahead and not care because you're just going to handle it. Whereas you got some lawyer who their whole job is preparing for months to get ready for a case right. and you can't prepare. Well, like, yeah, I'm going to have a, a leg up on that person. So when did you think and realize that, hey, I might actually win this thing? When I got on the show, I thought, well, now it's not one out of 10,000. Now it's one out of 12. Mm-hmm. And I went first, the first episode, and I felt really good about it. And um, the funny thing was, so there's like six people that went the first show, and I was the first, and I really felt like I crushed it. And the first thing they did was the judges told you what they thought, and the comments were almost all glowing praise. But they had nothing to compare it to. And then a couple other people stumbled and a couple weren't that smooth or or yada yada. And then America's vote came in. And what Dream Job did was they voted you off. Dream Job had uh, the judges all had a vote and America had a vote. Well, the, the uh, I got all the votes that first show because everyone was used to voting American Idol style, which is you vote for who you want. Right. So I was clearly, I did well, and I got lucky, and I, and I did the best, but I got voted off by the audience, but all four other judges voted for me in the positive way, so it was kind of a confusing, so then if you ever, for some reason, if they ever put it on YouTube, if you watch, like, the second episode, Stuart Scott, who hosted the show, said, like, 12 times in the broadcast, you are voting for who you want <laughs> off the show, not for who you want on the show, um, so that was... That was kind of funny. But that was a moment that even when they voted me off, the judges all said, like, we think you're really good. Don't let this scare you that America voted you off. And then I was sort of like, okay, if I just keep doing this. um, And I think the the only other moment that, like, really triggered me was when we were down to the last four. We went to Bristol, all four of us. And John Anderson, who's a sports center anchor, who was my mentor, um, I barely knew him. But we knew each other because of Missouri ties. And he said to me one time, he was just kind of, as an aside, he was like, you're doing great. Keep doing your thing. You're going to have no problem. And I was like, 
well, if this guy who's as good as anybody who's done it in the last 20 years thinks I just need to keep doing what I'm doing, then maybe I do have a good shot. So what was, like, the, the final boss moment in the video game? Like, what did you have to do to <laughs> seal the win and win the dream job? So the final episode was two hours. It started with four of us. At the end of the first hour, uh, Maggie Haskins and Zach Selwyn were kicked off. And at the second hour, it was me and a guy named Aaron Levine. And we did... Um, like a, a Jeopardy type of thing, which was kind of silly because it didn't. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have in your head. Mm. It matters how good you are performing the job. But you had to fill an hour somehow. So we did that. Um, and then the last thing was that 15-minute broadcast that we had. So it was you had a real sports center anchor. I think Linda Cohn was with Aaron, and I had Carl Ravitch. And again, Peyton Manning live after he just signed a big contract with the Colts. Um, uh, there were multiple highlights to do. The NCAA tournament was going on, so we had, like, Elite Eight highlights, I think, because it was the Sunday of the Elite Eight games. Um, and then when that was – that was kind of the last big thing, a 15-minute thing. Uh, and then I did it, and Aaron did it, and then they, like, tabulated the votes, and then they announced, like – the last one was All-America voting. Was this live TV, too, when it was going on, or was it taped? Yes. If you want to know the truth, only the last five minutes was live. Okay. But they sold it as the whole thing was live. But, but yeah, we would tape it earlier that evening. Um, and then you'd go sit in a room for hours with nothing. No phone, no TV. You're just sitting there questioning what you did, which they wanted because then you'd look all stressed out yeah. and it would be a dramatic moment. Uh, and then Stuart read at the very uh, end that I won the vote and it was crazy. So then how soon after you win the job do you start the job? So that was Sunday night. We go to an after party. And uh, have too many libations. Mm-hmm. And I'm up at 5 a.m. because ESPN's running me through the radio ringer. I'm doing Mike and Mike. I'm doing all these local places. I'm doing tons of interviews. And then they go, we want you to be on the 6 o'clock sports center with Dan Patrick. And it's like, that's my idol. I'm going to go, I'm a little hungover. Mm-hmm. I just had the greatest night of my life. I have no sleep. And I'm going to go do the 6 o'clock with Dan. And I did a full segment with him. And then I taped something for the 11 o'clock and for the overnight sports center. And so that was the Monday. And then that Tuesday, I'm still in Bristol, and I meet with all the bigwigs. I mean, the president of ESPN, everybody in a room, and we talk about my future and what am I going to do. And, like, they said, well, Mike, when do you want to start? And I was like, um, I've got six weeks left of school. Right. If I could go graduate, that'd be great. Yeah. And they all kind of laughed. We're like, yeah, of course. We're going to have a 100% anchor graduation rate here. Go back. I tell you what, we're going to give you seven weeks. Go graduate. Go home for a week. We'll see you June 1st. So I did that. I came home, and I spent a week in Chicago. And then I packed up, and the moving trucks came, and I moved to Bristol. And June 1st was my first day as an ESPN employee. So you were in Bristol and then Charlotte for ESPN U. Is that right? So my deal, the winner of Dream Job got a one-year contract. And about six months into my one-year contract, the president of ESPN came to me and said, we're going to launch a new channel called ESPNU, College Sports. We want you to be the face of it. It means you're going to move to Charlotte. We're going to sign you to an extension. Do you want it? And I was like, let me think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds fine. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so I was in Bristol for almost a year and then in Charlotte for two years after that. So last kind of point of dream job, point on dream job I want to get to, like, I miss those shows on ESPN, like those kind of fun ones, you know? I feel like now it's just all – First take and, and sports shouting, and right. I just kind of miss those creative shows. I, I wish they'd bring those back. Yeah, the president at the time was a guy named Mark Shapiro, and he was big on that. He did, um, he created Dream Job. He created, like, Rich Eisen used to host a thing called, like, Beg, Borrow, and Deal or something. Mm-hmm. 
and it was like an amazing race, but in a sports thing. I remember it, yeah. And bit. and he created all sorts of things that were more fun. They, they, they did scripted movies for a couple years at ESPN. Now, some of those were flops, but some of those were successes. Playmakers was... Yeah, yeah. and that was the thing that, that was critically uh, successful, and a lot of viewers, but the NFL hated it. Right. Um, but yeah, there, 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 there seems to be less right. of, uh, of that direction. Like, I like a lot that. of what Skipper did at ESPN in his time there, but... It definitely was moving away from that type of uh, programming for sure. Um, all right, so that was 2004 was Dream Job. You're at ESPN for a few years. BTN starts up in, in 2007, and you're one of the first guys to jump on board. Um, yeah. How did that come about? Why? First of all, how did the opportunity come about? And then what was the decision-making process to leave the Dream Job? So I was uh, doing well at ESPNU. Um, I was getting good assignments. We were growing as a network. I was the only full-time anchor we had. And I was getting better because I was doing a lot of reps. But I was just fine, personally. I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't happy. I was just mm-hmm. fine. If you're the only anchor at a 24-hour network, like, you're working a lot. I had, like, two dates in three years. You know, I just didn't have time mm-hmm. for it. And I'm not complaining about that because I knew what I signed up for and people would kill to have that opportunity. <laughs> But it was sort of like, at some point, you're going, am I going to miss my whole 20s? You know, am I just going to, do I want to be the guy that works for 50 years at a great job, but just doesn't have a social life at all? Right. And I thought, I, I wonder if there's a way to get some balance. And so when I went to ESPN, we had some negotiations, and, and they wanted me back, and they offered me a long-term deal. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like some time off. And they said, well, here's some more money. And I was like, well, thank you. It's not really what I want. Could we have some help down here so I can get more days off? And they said, well, here's even more money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. You're not listening. I really don't. More money will not make me happy. I want to find contentment and a work-life balance. Is there anything we can do? And they said, fine. Here's some more money. And I was like, I'm talking to a brick wall here. Yeah. And so we got down to the Frozen Four. I was host and sideline reporter for the Frozen Four. This is in April of 07. And it's in St. Louis. And, like, the games are Saturday and Monday. And on Sunday, my contract expired, basically. That was the deadline. And we didn't have anything. And my agent was like, you got to decide. Do you take this last offer for a lot more money, but you're not going to get any help in terms of time off? Or do you want to risk it? And I was like, I think I want to risk it. And I knew BTN was launching. And I had some other opportunities with Comcast and NBC. And I was like, well, odds are one of these things are going to come through. But I left before I had a job, which I do not recommend to younger people. It was a big risk. Um, But I just had faith that I I knew I needed to be in Chicago at that time in my life. And I had multiple chances. One of them would come through. And for about three months, I just lived it up as a jobless uh, Chicagoan in his 20s, having a blast in the summer. Fun employment is what they call that. Oh, man. I was so fun employed. Uh, and then, like, late July, things got serious. And then it, the way crazy stuff happens within, uh, like, an hour and a half span, BTN offered and uh, another place offered me. So I had two full-time offers after having nothing all summer. And I took a weekend to think about it and decided, I think BTN's the, the right place for me. And so I signed in, and then August 1st, I was here, ready to go, and we launched at the end of the month. So you didn't have any trepidation about BTN being kind of risky as in, you know, not working out with, you know, the cable contracts were up in the air and it was panned by a lot of people as being right. a shot in the dark. Yeah, I didn't really because I didn't know Jim Delaney very well, but I had dealt with him before and I just thought he was one of the smartest businessmen, probably the smartest businessman I've ever met. And I thought 
there was a market for it. And I, I knew I learned a lot of stuff from ESPNU that it's going to be a slow burn. Um, and But you will get homes if you have good product. And more than that, you can't control. Uh, that's out. Of, whoever decides if Comcast and Time Warner and blah, blah, blah sign on, that's not my job. Right. So I'm just going to try to do good content. And so I had a little trepidation, but for the most part, it just felt like the right challenge for me. Sure. I don't remember much about BTN during the early days besides the games, but just since I've been here in the last year and a half, like the, what we've done has evolved a lot. So I'm just curious to get your perspective on how BTN has evolved um, over these 10 plus years now. Like what's changed and then in your role, what has also kind of stayed the same throughout? That's interesting. Well, we... Um we have grown a ton. Um, I think, you know, we went through a lot of different ways to how do we use studio shows, and and we would come up with gimmicks like the football four pack, and, mm-hmm. and we would have, you know, uh, different primetime shows. We used to have a daily show called Big Ten Tonight, um, and it was like our Sports Center, and and then we found out things like nobody watches anything but football on Sunday, so don't do a Sunday Big Ten tonight. Right. And, okay. Well, that's smart. And then it's like, well, we want to be on in the middle of the day in case something happens breaking news why in the football season. So let's do a show that's at eleven or whatever. Um, and so we've evolved in terms of what studio shows we do. I think we've evolved in sort of learning our priorities. Like I think when we started, we treated football as um, probably a little bit better than everything else, but we would treat soccer and everything else with the same amount of attention, and we found out people just weren't watching. People were watching football, men's basketball, and then some other things, some wrestling, some hockey, and so we started putting more attention on the sports that got more eyeballs, and I think that was smart. I mean, a lot of this is behind-the-scenes yeah. stuff. Um, but I also think, I mean, the truth of the matter is we grew a lot around the Joe Paterno uh, scandal at Penn State, and when when that happened, you know, we reported on it the first day it happened, but we didn't go over the top, and we didn't do breaking news. And even though a lot of media outlets were wrong and lazy, saying we never talked about it, which was false, we did talk about it. We didn't go all in until like the Wednesday after, and I think we really changed our attitude on on things like that. I think there were people who, unfortunately, early on were scared of well, what you know what do we do we're a conference owned network we're 51% owned by fox and 49 by the conference how do you report bad news and and thankfully um, we've gotten to a point where we understand that you know what the, what the president mark silverman told me in our, in our first year he said mike anytime there's news of any sort involving the big 10 i want people to turn to us before espn and that means you cover the bad stories, too. And even, you know, I have a journalism background, and that doesn't mean I'm doing investigative journalism, but it does mean you report the facts of what's happening. And I think we've gotten a ton better on that over the last 11 years. And I think any objective observer as well would be able to say that the Michigan State scandal has been handled well by BTN. I mean, like you said, the there's been no shying away from that, I don't think. Right. And, and it's not our... It's not our job to say someone should be fired or not. But it is our job to say, this is what was reported. This is how it's affected people. This is what someone's comments were. This is how someone didn't comment on this. Um, and that's really all you need to do. Like you said, you want to turn to someone who's got a screaming, you know, talking head somewhere. Great, they can do that. But that's just not our place, and I don't think it really should be either. All right, so you mentioned shows that, are, that have come and gone, like Big Ten Tonight. You, you've had different roles, but one... 
obvious step in your evolution here has been your show, Sports Light with Mike Hall. Sure. Uh, two seasons in the bank, and I've been in the studio audience for some of those and uh, had a good time. So when did you start coming up with an idea of your, your own show, and how long did it take it to get off the ground? Well, I'll save you the long story, mm-hmm. but the shorter version is, so the first three years of the network, we did a comedy-based show. It was called Friday Night Tailgate. Sure. And we had uh, comedians like Jordan Klepper, who's now on Comedy Central, mm-hmm. Tim Baltz, who's now on Comedy Central, Steve Waltine, who's a writer at Comedy Central. We had good people, right? We had talented folks. And we did a show that was supposed to be humorous and was supposed to be young. It was supposed to get at college kids and people in their 20s. And it did. Um, but the numbers weren't crazy good. And the people who were a lot older didn't like the humor or yeah. didn't get the humor. And so we got a lot of feedback internally and externally and a lot of arguments and discussions. And it got to the point where I was kind of like, you know what? Comedy is important to me and I like it, but it's not the only thing I can do. So I'm, it's not worth the headache. So I tried to not really do anything uh, outside of my regular sports hosting role in terms of comedy. And then like year eight came by and I had an idea that was sort of like a hybrid. It wasn't a comedy show, but it was sort of like I could go hang out with student athletes and bring out their personality. And I pitched it to our president and he said he liked it. And then like a week or so later, he called me into his office and he was like, I still like your idea. I want to change 90% of it. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just ready at that point. He wasn't ready our first couple of years for us to have a straight comedy show, but he was by the time it was year nine and he was like we need to make this a late night show let's do something different let's be creative let's give you the freedom to go after what you think is appealing to people in there you know to still a younger crowd and and go for it and so that's kind of how it started and i started brainstorming and we there's a few people i wanted to be on board who were correspondents and we found a great producer and um it kind of took off from there so sports light there's a lot of different little segments and snippets and I like that you guys do that because when, like you said, that's what a lot of fans are looking for is like the lighter side. Like they can they can watch a game and, and, and right. get what they want out of it, but it's that extra juice that, that kind of brings that connection to their teams to life. So are you the ones coming up with these concepts for all the, all the skits and all that? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, so like this year, the second year of the show, we worked with Second City, and uh, I know a lot of comedians because I did improv in Chicago for the first 10 years I was here. And so I have some connections with people who are really funny folks. And so we would come up with bits every week. I would also go in the summer and go to, you know, half of the schools. And we would do some research and find out, oh, Olive Sangapolu plays the ukulele. Mm-hmm. Well, when we're in Wisconsin, we need to have him play the ukulele with me. And I knew that in, I did some research and found out, oh, he was a cheerleader in high school. That's rare for a football player. Let's talk about that. So we would do things, like you're saying, that aren't X and O's. We do plenty of X and O's talk on our air. So this is one show where you're not getting any of that. Um, and, yeah, and we have a good producer. Uh, she's been wonderful. She helps come up with some ideas. And sometimes we reach out to the school, and they'll be like, oh, did you know that this guy does this? And uh, that's how we get most of our stuff. Do you ever get athletes or coaches or whoever that just don't really get it? And, and you can tell right when you sit down or start to do this segment that this isn't really landing. Yeah, and, and that's gone – I get a lot less of that as the years have gone by. The first couple years, people didn't know me. People didn't know the network. People didn't know what we were doing. But I think there's sort of been a built-up that, like, I'm not going to screw you. I'm not going to make you look dumb. If I do make you look dumb, in the same second, I'm making myself look dumber. You know, like, we can have fun. 
and I think there's a there's some level of a trust now that um, goes along with it. But yes, there have been absolutely coaches where you get this death stare yeah. of like you may, you being funny, fella. <laughs> it's like all right, we'll move on quickly to the next question here. Yeah, and I think I mean most athletes and some coaches I think enjoy the lighter side of it just because they get bombarded with generic press conference Total. talk all week, so I think they enjoy it. Um, let's see what else we got here on the on the tab for us. Um, Sports Light, as far as going forward, um, do you plan to expand it? Do you have any different ideas for what you want it to be going forward, or what's the indication now that Mark Silverman is moving on to Fox? Uh, what's the future for the show? It's a good question. The answer is a little inside baseball, mm-hmm. but um, we're we've got a big meeting in a couple weeks where we're gonna sort of figure out what we want to do. Um, I know the feedback has been good. Uh, I know people like it. I know it is still a very different show from anything else on our air. It doesn't look or feel like anything else we do, which is valuable. It also doesn't look or feel like anything else on not just the SEC network or Pac-12 network. It doesn't look like anything on ESPN. Right. And that's a a point of pride, too. So I think we're going to know pretty soon. I think it will be around in in one shape or another, whether it will be more shows, whether it will be less shows, where we'll do more digital content this year. I'm not sure, but we're going to get going soon because, you know, April is when we started shooting some of our pieces last year. So we're going to have to get get going. All right, sounds good. I'm looking forward to seeing what the future has in store for uh, Sportslight. Um, You also are the host for our Football Signing Day shows. So how did you get into that role? Because I know that's a marathon of a day. Now we have two of them. How did that come about? Yeah, so when I was at ESPNU, one of our – Literally, our entire networks, our company's initiative was signing day. We were going to make signing day at ESPNU what the NFL draft had become. We didn't want to do a one-hour show. We didn't want to do a three-hour show. We want to do a day-long extravaganza. And so the two years I was there on signing days, we did eight and ten hours straight. Um, Todd McShay was my analyst. Uh, Mike Gottfried. I mean, Tom Luganbill we had. We had a lot of good people, and we did some really good content, and I was immersed in signing day stuff, and I knew what was good and what was bad, and I knew what I liked and hated about this, and uh, and then I got to BTN, and it was sort of like, oh, we're going to do a one-hour show. We'll just have Dave Howard and Jerry do it, and so for the first like four or five years, it just wasn't a priority, and then we got a uh, uh, one of our very good producers, a guy named Mark Carmen, in, and he's very much into recruiting. Mm-hmm. And he knew that I'd done these long shows before, and he knew that we could do a better job on this important day. And so then he kind of started pushing for us to do more. And so then I took over one year, and we still did, like, a 90-minute show. And then, like, the year after that, we we did, like, a two-hour show. And then we just kind of slowly grew. And then we did, like, a six-hour show. And then, you know, this past year, we did a seven-hour show on the first one. And, and then, like you said, a second show, which was two hours, six weeks later. Um those are hard. That's the hardest thing anyone who covers college sports can do because you don't have the information. You can't contact the people. You know, you have to use these end-around ways to learn things. It is super, super easy for that show to be boring. And it's every sentence you say, you have to go, how can I make this relatable to somebody who's never heard of this high school player and doesn't know if he'll end up being anything? And even if he is something good, it's probably not going to be for two or three years from now. It's a really, really hard show, but I, I really like the challenge of trying to make that entertaining. And a lot of people who watch that those type of shows 
are obsessive about recruiting. So even if if you screw up, right. you know, you'll hear about it. The diehards exactly. are all over That's, that. Diehards love recruiting. Um, so is there anything else at, at BTN that you haven't done or, or you don't think you've done enough of that you would like to get into now is, you know, you've been here 10 years and, and now the next, as your career moves on here, is there an area that you, you want to expand into? It's a good question. I mean, the big thing to me has been sports life. That's been such a different challenge. It's mm-hmm. different from, again, not just anything I've done, but different from what the industry does. And so that's kind of been, how can we continue to make that interesting and special and funny and weird and different? Um, and then in terms of the day-to-day on BTN, I mean, we've kind of, we're in a good spot. I think we have a really good rhythm of good analysts and good shows and um, we kind of know what we're doing. Um, so if there's nothing off the top of my head, uh, I mean, maybe down the line I'd like to do a little more play-by-play. I did some at ESPNU, okay. um, and I, for the most part, avoided doing it here just because I wanted to focus on on what we've been doing. But I wouldn't be against trying to get into that. And that's interesting, too, because there's, there's really very little room for humor in play-by-play because people just want the game. Uh, if you get a blowout, that's an opportunity. Right. If you have amazing chemistry like, you know, Sean McDonough and Jay Billis, well, then there's room for uh, humor. But otherwise, it's a very different set of muscles. I brought this up with... Dave and Rick and kind of how rare it is to have three guys like yourselves and not even counting like Jerry DiNardo and Howard Griffith who've been oh, here super rare. all 10 years. Like, yeah. Why do you think that it, do you guys think it's mostly because of the uh, the network or how well it's done or do you think it's also because you guys seem to have a great relationship? Yeah, some of it is coincidence. Some of it is luck. Some of it is we're in Chicago and there's not a, you know, it's an amazing city and you like being there. Some of it is the behind-the-scenes people that you work with, you really enjoy. Um, I, I don't think there is one thing, but you're right. I mean, it's very rare that uh, that an entire network's main on-air people hasn't changed in more than a decade. I mean, a, a lot of people have careers where they were here for two years, there for three years, there for five years, there for two years, there for seven years, there for four, and it's just... It's very rare that, that we have that. All right, so you mentioned your improv background, um, and you seem to have, like, a switch that you can just flip between comedy and then when it's time to get serious, you can get serious. So has that always been there, or do you have to kind of hone that over the years? Yeah, I think um, – so the best job I ever had, no disrespect to my bosses, in my whole life was when I was a lifeguard. I spent five summers as a lifeguard, and it's not the sitcom lifeguard where you got, you know, the white – Right. zinc on your nose, you're twirling a whistle, and you're just looking at hot babes, right? We were good lifeguards. We were literally, people don't believe me when I say this, but we were voted the seventh safest pool in the world one year. Um, we had a lifeguard competition to test our skills. We took it incredibly seriously, and it was a great time because what I learned then was when it comes to saving lives, you don't mess around. You're not late. You're not sloppy. You do everything you can. The most important thing is the most important thing, and you get that right. But if you get that right, every other second of the day, you should be having a blast. So what, we, that was our philosophy. And we were just, when we were lifeguarding, we, our eyes were on the pool, and we were practicing skills. We were as good as anybody you could find. And then when we were off, we had a, a total blast. And that's kind of my philosophy here. When there needs to be journalism, great. When there needs to be questions asked, I can do it. When there needs to be... Uh, a story told and there needs to be a seriousness to it. I'm going to do it as good as anybody in my mind. 
And then every other second of a broadcast should be goofing off and should be a blast and we should be hanging out and it should feel like you're in a college dorm with me or I'm at a bar with you or we're hanging out in your basement and like it should be fun and it's kind of been ingrained in me for a long way that that's sort of my life philosophy. All right, so last real personal question for you, Mike, um, before we talk a little bit of Big Ten hoops before wrapping up. So you are... You know, we're still relatively young, uh, but you've settled. You got a family here. I've seen them in the studio walking around. You got a TV show, a lot of Twitter followers, all that good stuff. So, do you ever have any regrets about like leaving ESPN or anything that's come along uh, your path in, in your career here? No, I, I get that a lot. Sometimes people will ask, like, "What do you miss about ESPN?" or "Do you wish you were there?" And it was like, I don't. I think I made the right choice. You know, the way I left was unconventional, but the way I got there was unconventional. Um, and I think I just knew in my gut it was the right thing to do. Um, there are certain things that ESPN does better than anybody, which involve big events. They do big events really well. And I think it would have been cool to be a part of. I know there were talks about me being a part of College Football Live when that launched a few years back. And if I was, I'd probably be part of the College Football Playoff coverage. And that would be enticing and would be fun. But for the most part, I like where I live. I like what I do. I like um, I like a lot of where my life is right now. So, no, I don't, I don't think there's anything I really regret in terms of career moves. All right. You're not lying to me, are you? Oh, yeah. I li- I've been lying for 42 <laughs> minutes. All right. I so- don't even know who you are. What's your name? I'm Mike. All right. We'll move on. Uh, wrap up with a couple of Big Ten basketball questions because um, we're – Countdown now to New York City, wrapping yeah. up another season. Um, just broad question at first. What do you kind of make of the Big Ten right now? Because the knock on it kind of has been all season that it's down a little bit. Uh, it's top-heavy with, uh, or at least for at first, it was Michigan State and Purdue were seen as, like, the, the two right. teams and then everyone else. Now, yeah, the conference might be down top to bottom, but there's three top ten teams and uh, – five at least I think pretty good teams so what, what is your kind of perception of Big Ten this year well the funny thing is what did we just go through a couple months ago the SEC was down all year but they were top heavy and they got two teams in the playoff two teams in the title game and a national champion sure that doesn't guarantee that the Big Ten is going to have Michigan State and Purdue in the title game but it does give you an idea of like sometimes that can work out in the end uh, I mean, I think all the, the narratives around the league have been accurate. It, there's three uh, coaches that are in their first year, and that's basically a rebuild. I mean, very rarely, unless it's, you know, Duke or, or something like that, you don't have a new coach that wins right away. So the fact that Chris Holdman is doing that at Ohio State is insane. Illinois and Indiana are where they're supposed to be. It's it's going to take a couple years. So that doesn't happen all the time. Um, the top teams, you know, we could have... We will likely have three teams that are one, two, or three seeds uh, to cover uh, in the NCAA tournament in Ohio State, Michigan State, and Purdue. I think Michigan can do a run. I think it can get hot and beat people in the tournament. Penn State and Nebraska have work to do, but if they can get in, they absolutely could play to the second weekend. Their problem is they don't have enough good wins. But if they, I'm telling you, People would not want to face Penn State or Nebraska if they got in. Like, I look at those rosters and the way they're playing, and it's like they just could have either stacked some more wins early in the season, Penn State avoided bad losses. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, Nebraska thinks in great shape, and, and Penn State, with a couple good wins here at the end, could, could put themselves right there. But those are, I mean, NCAA tournament teams with the eye test for sure, I think. Right. Um, and I, I was talking about long days with signing day. 
a little bit earlier, but you did a signing day show, which was not the full <laughs> signing day uh, last week, and then went to Purdue that same day, um, and then Ohio State pulled the upset. I-, I was shocked that Ohio State went in there and won. I don't know about you. Yeah, that was a that was an awesome, wild, long day. That was a, we were in at six a.m. for a two-hour show at nine a.m. Yeah. And then you drive to West Lafayette, and then we did all these pregame shows, and, and it ended up being, I think, our highest rated regular season basketball game ever, um, Ohio State and Purdue. So it was great to be a part of that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, the game, I mean, I, I've sort of thought for the last month or so, like, well, this is a nice story, Ohio State. They can't beat Michigan State or Purdue, but it's a nice story, and, and maybe they'll get a good seed. And they've absolutely proved me wrong. I mean, like, Holtman's been great. C.J. Jackson's been great. Katabates Diop has been great. They they won't go away. Like, it, it feels like that team that you're going, all right, well, they're going to hit a wall in January. Oh, they did. All right, well, they're going to hit a wall in February. They didn't. Maybe they're not going to hit a wall. Maybe they are a top 15 team nationally, and we just have to deal with it. And uh, that Purdue win was the first time that I, even when they beat Michigan State, I was like, well, you know. It can happen, but once you've beaten the two other Goliaths in your league, you, you got to take them seriously. And I, it did surprise me that they won in West Lafayette, but nothing they're doing the rest of the way is going to surprise me. Another week or so, they could be uh, outright Big Ten champs. Yeah, um, I'm surprised you had to drive to West Lafayette. No private charter flight with uh, Michael Calderon. You know, I have three private jets okay. that I own, and uh, I keep two of them in hiding. And the one of them was just. Uh, I don't want to get into it. It was a lot of politics involved, but uh, I chose not to private jet 90 miles away. It's good to uh, kind of be with the people, you know. I, mean, it's, I once think in a, Once so. in a while. Once yeah, a you don't want to get dirty. You don't want to get your hands <laughs> dirty. But, um, yeah, no, of course not. All right, last Big Ten basketball question, and then we'll uh, let you get out of here. Uh, we talked a little bit about, about Nebraska. Do you think if they you know, are sitting there with 22, 23 wins – Still don't have, like, a signature win. You know, maybe they win a game or two in the Big Ten tournament but don't beat a top three Big Ten team. Is there any way that a 10-plus a Big Ten team, 10-plus uh, win Big Ten team and a 20-plus win regular season team gets left out of the NCAAs? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Um, the thing to remember is we as fans like to grab on to numbers like 20 wins or 10 in conference play, but the committee doesn't look at that. I mean, one of the things that frustrates me to no end is when, and we do it too, is when television networks put up tournament resume and they say conference record. The committee doesn't look at it. They don't care. They look at your overall season. And if you beat uh, a team that's great out of your conference, that doesn't matter less or more than beating a team that's great in your conference. Uh, And that's the way it should be. You should be judged on your whole season. Um, the the way that Nebraska will get in if they if that scenario comes through where they got you know twenty three wins and they're fourteen and four in the Big Ten is if the other teams on the bubble have a worse resume than them I yeah. mean that's that's all it's going to come down to and I know that's not a, a simple bite sized answer and I know it doesn't make Nebraska fans happy but like the fact is there might be other teams that have more what are called quadrant one wins this year than they do and that's going to hurt them. And you could argue if that should or shouldn't be the case, but they, they, the committee just doesn't look at your conference record no matter what, and 20 wins is not a magical barrier. And you can know that by look at the, you know, America East, right? They'll have a couple teams that have 26 wins, and they're only going to get one in because they didn't play enough good teams and they didn't beat enough good teams, and that's kind of where Nebraska is right now. Mike, you're a BTN. You're supposed to be a homer. Where's your, where's your corn cob hat right I'm now? I'm not supposed to be <laughs> a kidding. homer. That is not my job. I'm just kidding. All right, Mike Hall, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time today. 
A lot of good insight. Interesting backstory. Um, it's interesting because, like, you know, usually I'll talk to people and they're like, you know, well, I was at local TV for right. a couple of years or, you That's know, I worked my way up. Right. And you landed uh, the ESPN right away, landed the dream job, and then landed here at BTN. So uh, I appreciate you sitting down with me today. Well, that's always my advice to someone young in the industry. Just win a game show. And now the cops are after you hear the siren <laughs> in the background. So we'll let you get out of here. All right, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot to Mike for joining me. Mike, uh, you can tell, has a lot of personality and is always a fun viewing experience when you, you see Mike Hall on BTN. Watch his show, Sports Light with Mike Hall. And, um, you know, he's really good at kind of straddling that line you can dip, dive into the humor dive into the serious stuff when needed and uh it was cool get to know him a little more during that 45 minute interview so next up we have stat head segment with btn's own harold shelton he's the researcher for btn so we'll talk a lot of big 10 basketball um especially the big 10 race that is heading down the home stretch now between purdue ohio state and michigan state and we'll talk some bubble watch as well. So right now let's get to it. It's the stat head segment, as always, with H. Harold Shelton. Alright, excited as always to be joined by our resident stat head BTN researcher, Harold Shelton. And uh, we're sitting here as the season, you know, is is Coming to a close, H, and, and we've had some fun this season, but now is when it gets real. Uh, I, I opened my email inbox on Monday, and you had a lot of great stuff from the weekend. This is when uh, the work starts to pile up for you, but uh, let, t- fill me in on what you what you kind of sent, because there was a lot in my inbox, and, and uh, break it down for the folks listening. Uh, so, yeah, so Sunday I sent kind of a, a recap of what the – NCAA selection committee deemed as their top 16 teams and kind of what I took from it, what it means for the league, uh, teams that I, things of that sort. Uh, obviously a little bit better this year than last year considering we didn't have a single team right. in the top 16 and we had three in the top 16 this year. Uh, so that was mostly Sunday. Uh, Monday I started sending out tournament resume information uh, dealing with uh, men's and women's, just the NCAA tournament team sheets and the nitty-gritty stuff where you can find what teams did against quad one and two, and what teams' RPI, strength of schedules are, because I know that's where we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks, four weeks leading up to Selection Sunday. And then I also sent out a, hey, it's two weeks left in the regular season. This is what we should be looking for, Big Ten race. What about Nebraska? how interesting Penn State is, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so we'll get to a good amount of that stuff here in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, one thing I, I heard you mention, about, uh, quad one, quad two, and that's something if you're following tourney talk around this time of year that, that might jump out to you as different to previous years. The, the selection committee is now picking teams for the field of 68 based on this quadrant system. Can you explain a little bit to me and to everyone out there what this is because I – don't have much of an idea, even though I know there's four of them. Uh, yeah, so in the past, everything was based off of, like, RPI Top 50 and Top 100, where all games were created equal. If you beat a team that was 49 home or road, it meant the same thing. Uh, so I guess what they try to do this year, RPI-wise, is to say that road wins mean more. And so instead of it just being a blank or just a standard versus Top 50 They've grouped 
the RPI teams where if you beat a team on the top in the top 75 on the road, that counts as a quad one win. But if you beat a team that's 35 at home, they don't value it as much and call it as a quad sure. two. So they've tried to make it where road and neutral wins are more valuable than home wins. Sure. And on the surface, it sounds like it ma- makes some sense, but there's always things you can pick apart with these processes of determining NCAA tournament teams. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on on how this measures up to what they've done in the past and just if you personally like it or not. Uh, me personally, I'm just not a fan of RPI in general. Um, I think that it's kind of an archaic metric. We have a lot of other metrics out there that take context of things, and the RPI doesn't. It literally is just takes the score and takes where the game was played and inputs it and there's no context like for instance Michigan State beats Notre Dame when they're a top five team and fully healthy it looks like a great win at the time two months later Bonzi Colson's still out you know with the foot injury Matt Farrell's missed time they go on a seven game losing streak and now that win that looked so good back then is now a quad three win for Michigan State because of injuries and and that sort, and RPI doesn't take into account any of that stuff. I'm sure Nebraska fans can relate to that. They beat a ranked Minnesota team exactly. early in the season. Minnesota's completely fallen off the face of the earth, and now you look at Nebraska's tournament resume, zero, I believe it's zero quad one wins. Yep. And um, I want to talk about teams that uh, will be looking at those metrics a lot here in the next couple of weeks um, as the tournament shows gear up, bubble watch heats up, and Nebraska is certainly one of those teams – Penn State in the Big Ten, probably as well. Maybe even Maryland, although uh, Tuesday night's loss hurt Maryland's chances. So Penn State and uh, Nebraska are on the outside looking in right now, I think, in, in most uh, bracketologist matrices right now, matrices. What do – we'll start with Penn State because they have some opportunities on their schedule coming up. And, um, you know, it's pretty much – for them, they can probably play their way in if they really play well. So what does Penn State have to do to get themselves on the right side of the bubble heading into New York, and then even if they can't by then, when they get to New York City? Yeah, so Penn State, they play Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan, and Nebraska. So they have plenty of chances to get quad one and quad two wins the Nebraska games on the road so that would be a quad two if they sorry that'd be a quad one if they pulled that off uh Purdue's at home but Purdue's in the top 20 so that would be a quad one mm-hmm. I'm sorry no they're at Purdue Ohio State and Michigan are both at home Ohio State would be a quad one Michigan would be a quad two if they win those the problem with Penn State is their two home losses against Minnesota and Wisconsin again back to your Minnesota thing so they're now 90, uh, Minnesota's 135 and Wisconsin's 150 in the RPI, which just completely kills them right now. Everybody talks about their loss to Ryder. Ryder's actually 68th in the RPI. Wow. It doesn't look like a bad loss. Yeah. It's the one-point loss to Wisconsin and the OT loss to Minnesota that's really hurting them. Uh, right now, they're 80, uh, Penn State's 87th in the RPI. They probably need to win three of the last four to have a chance, and I think they might still need to get a win or two in New York. And it's frustrating because if you look at Penn State's other metrics, their 
you know, in the mid 60s in strength of record, they're 36th in BPI, they're 40th in Kempom, and they're 44th in Sagarin, which would seem like just a regular bubble team right. instead of a team that needs to do all of this work. Yeah, for, to- con- for context, it's generally that 35 to 40 ish range that constitutes those last few teams in the tournament. Right. Okay, so uh, let's flip it over to Nebraska now. They got, on paper, great record, great Big Ten record. Um, they just notched their 20th win this week of the season, uh, double digits in Big Ten wins. However, they do not have many chances to prove themselves down the stretch. So does Nebraska have to win out and get a game or two in, in the Big Ten tournament, or can they afford to drop one or two the rest of the way? Uh, if they lose a game, it definitely can't be in a regular season, I don't think, okay. unless they were to get an extra one in New York. Uh, it looks like right now they're probably pretty close to a lock for the 4C, which means they would get a double bye going to, into Friday in New York, probably against Michigan, which could be a quad one win for them on a neutral floor. Uh, the problem is their game at Illinois, their home games in Indiana and Penn State just aren't going to give you a whole lot of an RPI boost, but the losses will kill you. So it's one of those where they just need to continue to win, and hopefully they pile up enough wins where the committee could just take notice and say, look, this team is 23-8. and eight. You know, if they win in a game in New York, 24-8. and eight. If they lose 24-9, and nine, we've never seen a team with 23 wins in the regular season from the Big Ten miss the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine them being left out, but like you said, you never know, especially if they're trying to emphasize a new formula this year. Um, you mentioned the NCAA released their top 16 uh, for the second year now. It's it's, it's the uh, kind of build-up in the similar vein of the college football playoff where you can kind of try and draw up some hype ahead of Selection Sunday. So Purdue is a one seed, Michigan State a three, Ohio State a four. Considering how we've seen the results play out between these teams, Ohio State's beaten both of them and they're the lowest projected seed right now and with how the Big Ten race is shaping up. Any surprises there or is that about right? Uh, I was happy to see Purdue got a one. Uh, They definitely did do good work. Uh, It's funny that the seventh place game in the Bahamas is like their best win. Right, it's nuts. Arizona. Exactly. Yep. You know, they caught Arizona at the right time, but again, I guess that's the fortunate thing about the RPI they don't take into context mm-hmm. is how you know teams are reeling right yeah. one of their best players was out Purdue wins by 30 that's their best win uh, and they've done really good work in conference I'm glad that they were rewarded the Michigan State thing I'm, I'd be hard pressed to find 10 teams that are better than them I, I wouldn't have had an issue if they were two I think being the third number three seed seems like a little much and definitely seems like they were very reliant on RPI. You know, I think they're, what, 16 in the, uh, 14 in the RPI now, but their strength of schedule was lacking because of the RPI metric. If you look at any other metric, they're easily in the top eight. You know, strength of record are four, BPI six, Ken Palm six, Sagarin fourth, but somehow, you know, RPI they're 14. Mm-hmm. And I think Ohio State... Ohio State seems about right uh, just because they didn't do a lot in non-conference. That win over Butler would have been huge right. in Portland, but they couldn't hold on. Uh, they kind of rounded into form once uh, late December, early January hit. So the wins that we've seen in conference have helped get their seed to that level, but they didn't really do much in non-conference. All right. Um, we'll close out with some Big Ten title race talk. 
got interesting in the last week, especially since the last time we've talked, which, which was two weeks ago, as Ohio State went into Purdue and knocked them off, and then Purdue dropped their second consecutive game this past Saturday by uh, losing at Michigan State on that Miles Bridges game-winning shot. So as it stands now, Ohio State is uh, sitting at one loss, and their toughest remaining game is uh, probably with Michigan uh, coming up here with Michigan State and Purdue at 12-2 and two behind them. So how do you see this playing out? Do you see Ohio State getting tripped up and, and this being shared a couple of ways here as uh, we close out the, the Big Ten title race? Or think Ohio State just only has that one blemish that lost to Penn State on their record uh, about 10 days from now? I think we'll see a three-way tie with Ohio State having the tiebreaker and getting the one seed in sure. New York. Uh, but tiebreakers, that they don't matter for the regular season championship. Each team can raise a banner in that case. I think Ohio State will lose either at Penn State or at Michigan. Those are both coming up this week. Uh, Penn State already beat them, and Michigan had them down 20. Yeah, I said that were, Michigan game is tough, but now that I think about it, and I think the metrics bear that. I think Penn State even might be favored in that one. That's a, that's. No joke, because they already <laughs> took the L. I mean, outside of Bates D, I, I would probably take Carr, Stevens, and Watkins ahead of any other player on Ohio yeah. State. That's a good point. Um, and one last thing I wanted to touch on that I thought was interesting that you t- uh, sent along in these notes a couple days ago, each of the last four Big Ten titles have been decided by at least two games, so we finally have a race to, to follow here. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. It's weird that... Uh, Ohio State's schedule is actually done uh, the, the last Friday while mm. some teams are playing Saturday and Sunday. So we might know, you know, Friday night going into the weekend whether Michigan State and Purdue have a chance to share it or if Ohio State just locks it up outright. But, yeah, finally we can potentially go into the final weekend with some drama. The last time we did was uh, Indiana-Michigan 2013. You know, Jordan Morgan makes a layup. Mm. We got a four-way tie. Instead, Indiana wins by one, wins the title outright. Right. Well, so. More drama is more work for us, but that's work. I don't know about you, that's but fun I, work. I, don't, I don't mind. Yeah. That's fun so, work. Uh, looking forward to what the next week to 10 days holds, and um, we'll have you on again soon. H, thanks as always for sitting down with me. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks as always to H for joining me. Shout out to Mike Hall as well for jumping on the show. And. We have a couple weeks left of the regular season, less than two weeks actually, before we get to New York City for the Big Ten Tournament and beyond March Madness. So we'll uh, have you covered here on the Take Ten Podcast. Also, final reminder, Andy Katz, Big Ten Basketball Podcast, can't miss. He does it for BTN and talks to the highest profile players, athletes, coaches in the Big Ten as the season goes along and even has a, a segment where he talks to guys that are like trainers, managers, kind of behind the scenes people and, and it all comes together in a, a really cool weekly show so subscribe to Andy Katz's podcast as well that's the B1G, the Big Ten Basketball Podcast and can be found on Apple Podcasts and Google Play alright so subscribe to Take 10, subscribe to B1G Basketball Podcast and keep following along as the season gets to the fun part now, March Madness uh I can't wait. I can't wait for New York. And beyond that, I'm ready for some March Madness because February, it's already dragging and it's only mid-February. So keep it locked and we'll have you covered. Thanks as always to Wes White for producing the show. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.